You know, Joe, we've talked a few times about how fans are usually split between the Star Wars universe and the Star Trek universe. Yeah, that's come up a few times. Um, like it's it's this weird thing that you kind of have to like one and hate the other. Yeah, it just becomes odd though mm-hmm. when that happens within the same group of fans. <laughs> And I'm not mm-hmm. saying it happened a ton with Star Trek when they rebooted it in 2009, but it kind of felt that way, didn't it? It happened a little. And by a little, I mean, I definitely remember in the movie theater watching the 2009 J.J. Um, Abrams produced Star Trek. And within the first, like, what, 10 minutes of the movie, um, Jim Kirk's dad dies. And someone was like, that's not supposed to happen. That- <laughs> That was wrong. <laughs> what are you doing? God. That guy's a phony. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like pretty much almost like right away. Um, people were kind of mad at it. Um, and like, I can understand why to a fault. But at the same time, I thoroughly enjoyed um, the JJ movies. Um, they were yeah. different for sure. Like the style was more weirdly like 1950s hot rod um star trek <laughs> than yeah we were Every, used to getting like everything felt like it had fins on it right yeah it did everything was a cadillac suddenly um yeah. little going to the bathroom and all of a sudden the toilet's got fins on it you know obviously <laughs> next to the seashells of course oh of course yeah. um and then oddly everything is seafoam colored um <laughs> but no um of yeah. all the things that like the uh i think I think the biggest problem that people typically have with the JJ movies um, is that they say that they don't focus on any of like the Star Trek philosophy that's usually put into a series um, or into a movie. And they focused mostly on just action scenes and becoming more of a, of a modern sci- modern science fiction, as opposed to upholding what Roddenberry had originally wanted for the series. Which I was actually fine with, though, because yeah. mm-hmm. you and I talked about this with the with the the, the whole Snyder universe here mm-hmm. within the DCEU. The issue that they had with those movies is they came in way too dark. Yep. And at this point in time, too, we're coming off of the seriousness and like the heavy handed nature of the Dark Knight trilogy. And, and specifically, the Dark Knight had like just come out the year before, I'm pretty sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so like we needed something, I think, like like this, mm-hmm. you know, obviously unrelated properties. But when you're kicking off something like this, you need to have, I think, something fun that you can kind of attach to. You know, obviously, you've got this reboot. So all the characters, even mm-hmm. though they're the same names, they're not the same people, technically. No. And what's also is great is that another literally not even kidding like a moment when watching that first movie when they basically spell out that this is created an alternate universe yes the same guy goes oh oh okay and that was it got a good laugh so (laughs) that guy's not a phony anymore no now it's kind of fine but i'm still a little mad still a little (laughs) mad um but no no like um one thing that this movie did do way more than the original series did um, is it really did do a lot more character like development and did a lot more character driven parts of the movie where we see much more of Uhura and we have this fun added thing that she never tells anyone her first name. Um, yeah. And you really see her 
like as this incredibly strong, incredibly confident woman, um, especially, oh my gosh, the scene where um, they're rushing off to try and save Vulcan in the first movie. And um, she goes to Spock, like, what the hell am I doing on the Farragut? Like you yourself said, I have all these things that I am the most capable person in my position. And yet I'm not on the enterprise. And he's like, well, I don't want to make it seem like, uh, you know, there'd be any favoritism. She's like, no, yeah. I'm on the enterprise. And it would appear that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, it would, it would appear that you are. <laughs> it would appear you are. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I thought mm-hmm. was really funny too, about that movie was, uh, when you have all of these characters together, you know, on, on the same, you know, ship that basically doesn't get destroyed by, mm-hmm. uh, by Nero and his crew, like it, to me, it didn't feel like it was all that far fetched for why everybody ended up in the same place. Yeah, no, not um, at all. Yeah. It, it didn't quite have that like Guy Ritchie effect where mm-hmm. you've got, you know, 14 different storylines converging on one point. Yeah. You just happen to have people who were in the Academy together Mm-hmm. They cross paths a couple of times and now they're literally depending on each other for survival. And so I, I thought that was, you know, actually pretty well done. Um, especially the fact that you, you kind of find out that James T. Kirk is actually a pretty intelligent individual. And uh, I, I thought that was one of the most redeeming aspects or aspects of the movie was that you, you see how he's had a troubled childhood because mm-hmm. of the, the aforementioned, you know, father dying where he yes. probably said mm-hmm. that, that thing on autopilot, but Hey, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. you know he had to film thor so he had to move on to something he did. but he couldn't he couldn't be there for too long <laughs> you're the god of thunder you can't sit on the calvin come on <laughs> yeah. yeah but but i mean that's where i thought this didn't deserve some of the hate that it ended up getting from mm-hmm. you know other fans because i mean this is one of those this is one of those rare scenarios where a reboot has a 94 percent rating on rotten tomatoes yeah and for good reason uh one of it is the the story is compelling. The story is very fun. You don't need a bunch of background to what happened. And Nero kind of gives it all. Like when he says, like, no, my planet was destroyed. You get background information from um, the Spock from the original series. Like it yeah. does a really good job of setting up its own universe within a very large, expansive universe that is Star Trek. And I think what really, really helps sell that uh, are the actors and actresses that play these characters. And they in no way take anything away from the original crew. And yet no. they're able to bring yeah. on an absolute life of their own to all the characters. And I love, and then things that just make so much sense. Like you have Kirk and McCoy are buds and getting along well before Spock comes into the whole relationship in the equation. And yeah. I mean, yeah. it took what, probably what, four or five episodes from McCoy to even show up in the original series. Um, yeah. yeah which is a shame because I think McCoy is the best part of that triangle. But I, And I do have to give credit to the writing team, mm-hmm. you know, on this one because J.J. Abrams brought in, you know, his his frequent collaborators, as we like to say. Yes. Uh, Roberto mm-hmm. Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, you know, they they don't always have winning combinations. Don't get me wrong. But no, no. in this first reboot movie, like they they absolutely made sure that you knew enough about every character, especially mm-hmm. Bones, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, played by, uh, uh, oh God, Carl Urban. Carl, Carl Urban. Yeah. Dread himself. Oh, yes. God, he was so, <laughs> he was such a good, good decision to cast him for this role because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I think was really the issue here was that, you know, we've talked about reboots before and how people have a hard time struggling with, you know, well, this movie doesn't exist without the other one, which is yeah. you know, a pretty obvious argument. But in this case, 
you've got actors who, I mean, they, they had the, this daunting task of giving you familiar, but mm-hmm. then also existing in a universe where nothing should be familiar, right? Other than the names and the ships and, yep. you know, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was uh, just the, the acting alone. And then the, the quick context we get for everyone, like mm-hmm. you're not spending confusion uh, no. at any point here getting to know characters. No, no, no. They do like, again, like this is another great example of like, especially like how you don't get how movies like, I don't know, Justice League, since we like to bring them back, like you can like this, like you have a massive character ensemble and you get a good amount of story to almost all of them in yeah. one movie where it makes sense. Like, yeah, this makes sense. You've got Kirk, who obviously like main character, we, we already talked about him. We see Spock's storyline of how he is Again, like another character, which Star Trek likes to use a lot, is torn between two worlds, not really fitting in well in either, and makes his way to Earth. And then you get small context for the characters you may not be focusing so much on. You get um, McCoy, who <laughs> lost everything in the divorce except for his bones, yep. which is another great way how like they don't explain, to my knowledge, in the original series, they never explain how that nickname comes around. He's just bones. Yeah. So like yeah. they just like a fun little thing, like, oh, that's where it comes from. It's like um, you meet a you meet a dog at the pound. And you just call him Chubs. You know that's yeah. just that's just how it happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they <laughs> they they do that, and you're dead on with the the smaller characters um, who may not like get the main screen time, but mm-hmm. they but like with uh, I, I just like it with how they gave Sulu some some decent screen time. Maybe not so mm-hmm. much background development. They kind of do that in the next ones, but yeah, but it's still the fact with him. Uh, you know basically being in the seat because somebody else essentially called in sick yep <laughs> and, and, and then he can't get the ship to start it, it, is mean, the parking brake on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god which brings up an even better point man bruce greenwood um you know playing pike mm-hmm. i i just that, that dude is i mean as far as the the early 2000s went if you just needed a strong like middle-aged character mm-hmm. like like that dude was just in hey, the, just, the, just give him a call <laughs> yeah yeah he's just on speed dial with like mm-hmm. every every agency you know trying to work with casting a movie i mean i mean because um as pike i just thought he was the perfect oh he the was mm-hmm. perfect guy for that yeah seriously whoever was the casting director for this movie which usually i would have in my notes somewhere <laughs> um whoever you are we, mm-hmm. we absolutely we, we love thank your you work Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and another thing that I think was was done really, really well is uh, and it's something that Abrams does like doing is his really his need to have as many things done practically for effects as possible. Now, mm-hmm. of course, one glaring, glaring issue with practical effects are definitely the lens flares. Oh, oh way too many. And I will I will admit that sometimes I will get swept up in a property or franchise I love and I'll just not notice that like at all. I remember seeing this movie for the first time and then hearing the criticism about like the lens flares. I'm like, I didn't fucking notice that at all. Like <laughs> that didn't happen. You guys, it probably happened like once or twice. And it was really bad. And you're complaining. And you went back and watching like, Oh my God, this is every five seconds. <laughs> it's just lens flares. It, dude. It was, it was like your brother trying to annoy you, 
you know, with like a, a surface while you're, you're driving on a road trip oh, and yeah. just consistently getting the sun to shine right in your eyes. <laughs> I mean, I only noticed it right away because I think at that point we were uh, watching an IMAX. And mm-hmm. so I was I was like dead center oh. and we, we waited three hours in line to watch this, by the way. Ooh. So so I'm sitting there dead center watching these flares the entire time in like the most majestic screen ever. And I'm like, <laughs> It's like, wow, wow, I really wish I hadn't worn my contacts to this. Because <laughs> they're going to be fried by the time oh, yeah. I get out of here. No, you'll have no retina left after that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't. That's why I can't see anything, even a foot in front of me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm worse than snow blindness and cats, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, lens flares aside, um, things they did great with practical effects. Like I loved like the ship. Went inside of the Enterprise was gorgeous. Yeah. The, um, this super clean look of the bridge, um, how engineering seems to be an entire deck and not just one room yeah. was brilliant. Like it yeah. looked so cool. And which I believe engineering was a brewery actually. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty, pretty fun, but yeah, they, they shot all of engineering, engineering in a brewery. So they could um, freeze it in the winter and skate on it and then melt it in the springtime and drink it. Yeah. It was the perfect plan. Oh man. <laughs> but that is that is interesting you bring that up though because that's pretty consistent across even the the TV properties mm-hmm. and and the you know the movies here yeah, um, yeah it, I did really love how engineering is like this sprawling almost like a warehouse type of thing yeah as it should be right yeah I mean, you would think that like to power yeah. that massive ship I yeah, I get it's in the future and all and it things get more compact but still that's a lot of that's a lot of oomph that you need to move like engineering should be more than just a simple room with a feet with a cylinder in the middle of the big crystal in it. Yeah. Yeah. There should still be something else going on there. That's mm-hmm. a good point. I never, you know, I never actually thought of that. Yeah. Uh, it's a good point you bring up, mm-hmm. which uh, does bring me to one thing though, mm-hmm. as far as people being where they should be, the one thing I will say about this that didn't make any sense to me was how, Kirk gets marooned on a planet that just happens, happens to, to have, have Montgomery Scott. Scott. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yep, that, that was definitely, yeah. that had to happen for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. perfectly happened. I mean, for one, that's also the same planet that Spock, you know, gets marooned on once mm-hmm. Nero forces him to watch his own planet get destroyed. And then yeah. Chance encounters. I mean, that, that was the one part of it where mm-hmm. I, I suspended, you know, my disbelief a little bit in the theater yeah. when I was watching it the first time, because I was just, you know, loving it mm-hmm. um but one thing um i did want to mention aside from that too though was the fact that for once the supplement to the movie actually has a lot of cool things in it um you know because there's all, all the time you see like the the uh, book adaptation for a movie and then there's certain things that they'll they'll release after the fact to fill in things they missed yeah this was not one of those movies they they actually had a very excellent fleshed out miniseries that involved the next generation crew and developing the ship that Spock ends up time traveling with. Yeah, there was a lot in that series. I remember having it and I wish I still did, but I lent it to someone and the jack off never gave it back. I won't Ooh. mention names because I'm not that low, but do That's know okay. I still I hold a grudge for this reason one uh, among many. But um yeah, that was a great series. It involved like you had Picard, who was working with the Rhymelands as an ambassador, and that comes back uh, again in, in his series that's out now. Uh, you had Worf, who's actually back uh, with the Klingon Empire and was 
dealing with Nero after they had the Borg technology put on the ship and was almost killed. And Data is the um, captain of the Enterprise E after Picard had stepped down. And yeah. uh, you had, like you said, Jordy Jordy the Forge is one of the like was the chief engineer in designing Spock's ship, the Squid. Um, yeah. So that was just cool that they wrapped all this in and had it before the movie came out to get you excited for it. It was a great prequel that led into it. And any any gaps that you may have had going into that movie were actually filled by that graphic novel or that uh, that comic series. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was brilliantly done too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, one one of the reasons why I love sequels isn't necessarily because it's just another excuse to watch a movie. It's mm-hmm. it's the fact that I I really get attached to characters, and I like seeing what they do. I just want to keep seeing what they're doing with their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was what I think was the most compelling part of, of that whole little, you know, mini series before the movie came out was cool. I get to see a little bit more of some of my favorite characters for the next generation. And they're all doing things that you would assume they would be, yeah. you know, like, uh, like with Worf, it makes sense because the entirety of next generation, especially in the early portion of the series, he's like, he's refusing to answer the call of mm-hmm. the Klingon, right? Like he's, you see him fighting with it internally. Like he's, he struggles a lot. Like there are times when uh, I remember him and Riker on the holodeck and like, he's got, he's shown his teeth his his old nasty mangy, mm-hmm. you know, mangy looking teeth. And then Riker's like, you know, Hey, 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 come down. Come on. Come on down. <laughs> Sun's getting real low. Sun's getting real low. And, and, then, and then, then all of a sudden worse, right. You know, he's, he snaps back into place, but it would make sense to me though, that after his, his Starfleet days that he would mm-hmm. maybe just make it back to his own people yeah. and, and maybe bring that perspective to them. And so that was really cool. And you mentioned the forge and all that. And I, I just, I just loved how they, once again, there's a lot of care mm-hmm. put into this and, and it really showed. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of like care, like the little things they did for like Easter eggs throughout this movie, I mean, they were a ton. Um, I think, one of my favorites was uh, has to do with Montgomery Scott when they first find him and they're talking oh, yeah. about relativ- uh, relativistic physics and like beaming like living organisms from certain distances. Yes, and to prove dog, his point, Admiral's he, dog. Uh, Admiral Archer's <laughs> prized beagle and yeah. <laughs> he still feels really bad about it because he the dog never showed up <laughs> on the other side of the pad. Yes. Was just like, oh, that's great. I mean, we're assuming it's not Porthos from Enterprise because... I'd be an incredibly old beagle at that point, but just a fun little thing there. Um, on that it leads same... you leads you to believe that mm-hmm. that story could have made sense at least. Yes, exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's why he was marooned there. was was great. Um, and in that same that same scene is when you see a tribble, um, yeah, hanging out there. Uh, for a Star Wars nod, when Vulcan explodes, um, R two is flying through the debris. Yeah, yeah. If you pay yeah. attention close enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, just a lot of like like fun Easter eggs and nods to like the original series and other things throughout that movie were really really great. And of course, like when Sp- when uh, Leonard Nimoy shows up as Spock, it was just incredible. <laughs> like you just loved seeing him as Spock again. Yeah, I mean that that was that was where like the you know the hairs in the back of the neck kind of stood mm-hmm. up. Um, for me, I think one of the the best moments in this movie was actually when Nero and Kirk are fighting um, on, I always forget his ship that has the board technology. What is it called again? Oh, uh, uh, the Narada. Yeah. The Narada. Mm-hmm. When, when they were fighting and, and he recognizes him and he says, 
James T. Kirk was a great man, but that was another life. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of comes full circle that Nero has gone from a good person mm-hmm. to experiencing tragedy and then fully descending into madness at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like at that point in the, in the movie, you realized, yep, Nero is lost. Yep. Like there's, there's, there's nothing no else to him. him. No, no, yeah, no. Like, like he could admit that James T. Kirk was awesome, mm-hmm. but doesn't matter. He has to win. And yep. I thought that was like the, I mean, it's like the climax of the movie, but, mm-hmm. but still that was, that was another one of those moments where I'm like, oh man, it did. I, and, and shortly after that, we saw another great Star Trek uh, trope um, when, when the Renato is getting sucked into the, uh, um, the singularity caused by the red matter, which red matter, whatever <laughs> science. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, uh, and the enterprise then is almost getting sucked in two and their solution is to eject the warp core, which happens so frequently in Star Trek. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they ejected the warp core. <laughs> People were clapping when that happened mm-hmm. during uh, during our screening because we we had, I mean, I mean, almost every Trekkie in the area was mm-hmm. there, and uh, and this was like the Thursday night showing or whatever. So it was. Yeah, when that happened, people are like clapping and, and yes. whooping and laughing and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, that's that's good. That's, that's pretty good great. Stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh yeah. man. And then I mean, we could we could gush about the first movie quite a bit, but looking at the next two movies, uh Into oh. Darkness, I think, gets the most flack out of any of this. Um well, well before you get too far on that, mm-hmm. I did want to mention the casting was responsible by April Webster and Alyssa Weisberg. Ooh. So I just wanted to put those names out there. Once again, April Webster and Alyssa Weisberg were responsible for the casting in that first movie. And so, a fine job they did. Damn fine job. A damn fine job. Um, but going on to the next movie, um, this is the one where uh, I think the series is at a low point, but even then, like, I don't think it's a bad movie. Like, I enjoyed Into Darkness still. But yeah, I could see where people were, were mad because it's, it's more or less like a literal weird reboot of The Wrath of Khan. Um, so I could see why yeah. that one being like probably um, felt like if you do anything, you should hands off the Wrath of Khan. That's kind of the most heralded, like favorite Star Trek movie out of anyone. Um, mm-hmm. So them trying to do that again. And granted, I like the way they did it. Um, you have much more of a rivalry between Khan and Spock than you do Khan and Kirk. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that was that was important, too, because. You know, Spock is essentially super powered, right? I mean, yeah. he's he's one of the lesser advertised, strongest characters mm-hmm. physically in that show or in that movie. But really what I think this movie suffered from the most was phase one MCU syndrome, which yep. was we're just going to have someone with the same abilities, but bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all they did. Like yep. it's. I mean, Khan and, and Spock, like, yeah, they're both strong, but Khan is supposedly a little bit stronger. So yeah, it's, it's Iron Man and um, uh, Iron Monger. Iron yeah. Monger, yeah. So well, and, yeah. and then you've got that half-assed, like, we've seen this spy movie before bullshit yeah. where someone's sent off on a mission that they don't fully understand, but they're mm-hmm. just following orders. And then suddenly, oh my God, leadership <sighs> just, oh, they just <sighs> sent me down the wrong path. And they were, you know, they were, they were making me do something naughty the whole time. And you're like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Tired, tired. But um, like you said, uh, like you said, you mentioned, you get more of Hikaru Sulu in this, which is really good, especially um, when he actually 
takes control of the enterprise for a bit and he has that little the message out for the klingons um was a damn damn fine moment um yeah. with which was basically a very what he says is more or less a classier version of fuck around and find out yes. sort of thing <laughs> as the enterprise is sitting on the border of the neutral zone and it yep. was so good and John Cho just did an awesome job as Sulu in these movies. Who whoever um, would have thought that Harold from Harold and Kumar would mm-hmm. be that legit? I mean, I because I remember that was one of the first issues that people had with this movie when they heard yep. that John Cho was going to be Sulu, <laughs> and it was it was the exact same problem that they had with Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you see how he does this on screen. You're just like, I have no complaints. Yeah, I mean, not at all. And if you're going to complain about any of his previous roles as to why he wouldn't do so well. One, Harold is a pretty straight-laced individual in that movie. Like, Harold would actually not be a problem. Um, I'm trying to remember, it was a TV series, and the name is, is beyond me, but he basically played a, a chef at a restaurant, and he was also incredibly perverse and awkward, um, oh. where one of my favorite things I, I, I still use, um, based off of that show, is he walks up to a woman he says hello typically they're automatically like immediately disgusted with him they like slap him or walk away and in this case the woman just says oh hi and says hello just says hello back to him and then he kind of locks up and he's like i'm sorry i usually don't make it this far <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's just a fun little thing to do but um that character was much more of a like this guy's playing sulu this would be weird like you should have more reservations about that that part of John show but again like I don't know don't be mad when an actor has range seriously that's what their whole that's what yeah. their whole career that's why they got into this with well except for like you know late term Nick Cage here but yeah I, you know most actors that's mm-hmm. what they do it man that's why they they put all the prep that's why they that's why they're in this this career so absolutely I mean yeah, I have to I, imagine that most of them would be annoyed if they had to play the same character over and over and over again you could just get typecast into a role yeah, I mean, I think once again, we've got a, a, not to quote the goofy movie with a perfect cast here, but <laughs> but we, we we do have a really solid cast and we haven't even mentioned Anton Yelchin yet, you know, playing oh. Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I, I do think the second movie, while we're still getting a pretty high level of quality with, mm-hmm. you know, everyone involved, um, especially Benedict Cumberbatch, just Khan, which if we if we go through the phonetics of Khan <laughs> and mm-hmm. and his name and why he would be a British man, but hey, whatever you know, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. But but once again, dude, we've seen this trope before. The whole mm-hmm. let me get arrested so I can destroy the prison from the yeah. inside out. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was too close to Dark Knight for that. And yep. and so ultimately, with with uh, you know RoboCop at the end there trying to kill everybody. Um, it just wasn't sorry. I yeah. Robocop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, I assume everyone knows who Robocop is and I apologize in advance, well, but I mean, there are worse references you could make out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, long story short, it was, he play is he, is, is he just called the Admiral or what's his, what's his official title? Um, I'm trying to remember here. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all I remember was once again, we've got this, the only real thing here that's all that looming or dangerous is the fact that he's just got a massive ship that's bigger than you know yep. than the Enterprise, and it's just uh, 
that's it. That's that's, yeah, that's it's the only the only issue. And then they sneak on board the ship and take it out. It's mm-hmm. just like the first movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like you just did the same thing over again. Um, you kind of yeah. recycled the thing. And on top of that, like they say, like, oh, it's it's a skeleton crew. So like they're literally like 12 dudes on that ship. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all they could get for this this admiral and his his massive dreadnought class thing, which another great enterprise um, Easter egg is when you first see that admiral and you see the little ships on his desk, you do see the NX-01 Enterprise uh, as you go up and then you eventually see his dreadnought ship. He made a model of his own ship um, because oh. reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, foreshadowing yeah. is what that yeah. was. Well, What's that I big mean, weird ship there. Honestly, I, I think kind of mentioning what you said about the first one here being mm-hmm. more action and less sci-fi. Yep. I mean, that's absolutely what we got with the second yeah. movie. And mm-hmm. and even though I, I, I've you know made fun of, of some of this here, I mean, <laughs> I, I still enjoyed it. I yeah. still thought it was a fun mm-hmm. movie. Um, that's the thing. Like, I, I know it, yeah. the movie can have flaws and still be enjoyable. And that's what I think Into Darkness is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and mm-hmm. even with Peter Weller, uh, see, I know I'd remember his name, uh, mm-hmm. even Peter Weller as a bad guy. I mean, he, he still sells it well. Yeah. Um, so I will say up until that point, the rest of the film, you know, still felt pretty solid to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, it, it, once again, it wasn't the most original, but no. still had a lot of fun getting there. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And then you get to the last um, entry of the series. And I think will be the last entry of that series. I think all of, all the actors like they've their contracts are up they're not they're not going back it's done which is a shame because you you do set up the possibility of this crew getting back out there at the end of this movie um but star trek beyond yeah just a fun movie like we've said this before like it felt like a two-part episode of the original series put into one movie and it, it brings around some things that happened in the first movie um and Again, like like the uh, the actors, they just sell everything so well. They sell the story in this movie so well, and the story's not even that bad. It's almost yeah. think of like the cage from the first movie, except the cage actually destroys the ship, and then the fuck do we do now? Uh, <laughs> well, and, is is the is the how the how the movie starts? And and that's exactly why it feels like the original series and even like Next Generation episodes were. Mm-hmm you know, the ground team goes down and shit just goes bad. Yep. And, and I mean, it, that's what I kept thinking. And I, I think what was really important about this too, though, is, is to maybe hold us accountable for some comments we made before, mm-hmm. where when you change a director, yeah, you know, things don't get better here, but Justin Lin coming in to direct this one, I mean, I fucking knocked it out of the park. He did like, yeah. Um, I know typically like, when you exchange hands with the director mid movie, it's, it's, it's going to be bad. Sometimes yeah. you exchange uh, like hands as a director and what's designed to be a trilogy to tell one story. Also really bad star Wars. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it worked like when you went from JJ from the first two movies, and then you went uh, to Lynn in this movie, like he did a great job. And like, I know flack was coming off of because like, Oh, he directed the, uh, the most recent fast and the furious movie at that point. What is this guy doing Star Trek? It's going to be more action and nonsense. And yeah, there was action. There was there was some nonsense, but there was also really good storytelling um, yeah, in yeah, that I, movie. I, I thought that was one of the, like, the strongest uh, Star Trek stories to come mm-hmm. out of the cinematic universe, not just the reboot, but just uh, pretty much all time outside of the original yeah. Wrath of Khan, of course. But mm-hmm. 
but I mean, you have the you have the original crew, the original uh, Starfleet crew that crashes on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, you so you get you get literally that that uh, that bridge between the old series and the new, even though we've rebooted it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I I'm going to say this in a really confusing way, but it almost feels like we're bridging the original original crew with the rebooted original crew because we're seeing old Starfleet and quote unquote new Starfleet, which is the same parallel we have mm-hmm. uh, when the first movie comes out. And, and so you get to see um, oh, Idris Elba's uh, team here. He's a uh, crawl, yep. um, you know, crawl who's, you know, actually a, a Starfleet commander or yeah. And he just uses this alien technology to essentially survive there. You know, that, that was a really cool reveal that I'm sorry. I didn't say spoiler alert for, mm-hmm. but it was, it was really fun. I, yeah. I was really into that. And mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to, you know, slowly they figure out the mystery and what's going on behind the scenes here. And so it wasn't just, you know, boom action. It was like, holy shit, outside of the explosions, mm-hmm. there's actually other stuff going on here. Yeah, and, there's a great story there. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Um, not to mention, dude, oh my God. <sighs> when we got to the end of this one mm-hmm. and and they show Spock and like his, you know, the things that he left behind for mm-hmm. reboot Spock and you see the photo of the original crew like, <sighs> like you, 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 oh it you hits see, you mm-hmm. oh my god you see yeah because because at that point um he, i don't think leonard nimoy had actually passed away yet no uh, he did he did he passed away in real life at that point already yep because that's why okay. he he wasn't i think he wasn't physically seen in the movie because of that yeah i thought it happened like midway through production or something it may have but... been something like that yeah but it was it was extremely touching either way, mm-hmm. and I mean so hard hitting. And so, you know, if you were if you were there for the action and you're thinking it's the last movie, but with no confirmation, that scene alone is enough for me to like go. You know what? Everything's gonna be okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like if we end it here, mm-hmm. it's ended there. We're totally fine. There's nothing else to bitch about. Like it's. I mean, I, I remember talking to my dad about it because uh, some of you will, will hear um, that's how I initially, you know, bonded with my dad a little bit over the original series. And I actually introduced him to Star Trek Beyond before he'd even seen the other two. And so he watched that and he went, that felt like the old track to me. Mm-hmm. So that for me, that was the validation. Like, like, holy shit, someone yeah. who lived through the original series, watched it brand new mm-hmm. on TV saw that reboot and went, yep, that one's the one for me. I exactly. Like exactly. And I think one of the reasons it did that so well is because this was unlike the first movie, which was, I think, very much character driven, but also like a good deal of plot. Obviously, it's a movie, not a TV series. This one was very plot driven. And it was able to do that because these characters are already so well established that we just got to see the actors really thrive in the characters and just drive the story forward so well. So... And that was just another thing that made the original series what it was, is it was a plot-driven show. You didn't see too much of the other cast doing stuff. Uh, well, I mean, they did stuff, but he mostly focused on Kirk McCoy and Spock saving the day. Um, but yeah, so that's why part of what really felt like this was part of the old show is because, again, it brought back that, that plot-driven Kirk is going to come in uh, and eventually figure things out and, and save the day. And that's, that's what you get out of this movie. So it just feels a lot like the old Trek when you watch it. Yeah. It feels a lot like the old Trek 
but also has space for mm-hmm. um, new characters like uh, Sophia Batella's uh, Jayla. Oh, she was so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, and... I think after watching it, JJ Abrams is like, she's my favorite character in the entire, the entire like three, like three movie series. Um, after, after watching that actress do what she did with that character. Yeah. And once again, this is a strength of these guys in this, this trilogy was that they can give a tremendous amount of, of, you know, background to someone in a very mm-hmm. short period of time. And, and they did that for her. You find out about her family and how she lost them on this planet and, mm-hmm. and, and this fight between her and crawl and how they've, they, they've all known each other for a long time. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, it was it, so, I mean, obviously we had a little bit of a blip with into darkness, but yeah, but ultimately, Hey, the bread on the outside of the sandwich was, was really good, really solid. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even have to, you know, cut the crust off of it. Like that's how good that bread was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm on a sandwich kick. I've been eating a lot of sandwiches lately, Joe. It's like, but... someone, like we're both hungry. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> um, and I think, I think maybe that's a good place to end this is uh, we go and uh, we make a sandwich and we call it a day. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm.